good singing. You may be seated. Amen. Take your Bibles this evening. Turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 4. First Peter chapter number four. We have answered the question throughout these four services on Sunday night this year. As to who we are, we noted we are a body. We noted we are a building. We noted we are a bride. And this evening we're going to look at the fact that we are a blessing. 1 Peter chapter number 4, begin our reading in verse number 7. Peter says this, but the end of all things is at hand. Hallelujah, right? Praise the Lord. Be ye therefore sober and watch unto prayer. And above all things, have fervent charity among yourselves, for charity shall cover the multitude of sins. Use hospitality one to another without grudging. As every man hath received the gift, even so minister the same one to another, as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. If any man speak, let him speak as the oracles of God. If any man minister, let him do it as of the ability which God giveth, that God in all things may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom be praise and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Father, I thank you this evening that we can come and see how it is we are a blessing. This church, this body, this building, this bride, in all of our multifaceted ways and through all of our several members, are a blessing in this world. That is not a truth that most share this evening. We in this particular physical building believe it, But the world at large and our country in general is beginning to see churches as pariahs and problems. And it's because Christians do not live like Christians. The church does not function as the body of Christ. It is not the light holding forth truth as the building. It is not the beautiful bride of the Lord Jesus. And thus, we are a burden to this world rather than a blessing. May we always be a blessing from this place. Be with us this evening, in Jesus' name, amen. I enjoyed very much the song that we sang at the beginning, even though none of us knew it. Even I didn't know it. When Zach started singing, I thought, oh, we are all in trouble, because I thought it was uh, make me a blessing, and it was make me a channel of blessing. But it is right, it is proper, the more we sang it and the more I was reading it as we were singing through it, I was overly impressed with its truth. In fact, I wish I'd found it in our hymn book, and I'm glad he did. God wants to make us as a body of believers a channel of blessing to those out in the world. That is our sole or we could say singular purpose in our outreach to others, and that is to be a blessing in sharing the light, life, and love of Jesus Christ. As we read on this passage this evening... I note for us that the evaporation of good churches that hold to and teach the truth can be seen in the corruption that is prevalent in our country and culture today. Good churches are decaying. They're rotting from within. But I would tell you that a true church that is a good church is a blessing. Bad churches are the death of our country. They're the death of our culture. And we need to look no further on this truth than to the book of Jeremiah. Hold your place here in 1 Peter 4 and go back with me to Jeremiah 26. I'm going to put a good number of these verses on the board for us this evening. In this series, I don't have any slides per se, but there's a couple things I am going to project or put up for us this evening so that we understand the context Jeremiah was a prophet in the midst of a culture that was declining rapidly, and the problem in that culture was that the princes, the people, the priests, and the prophets were all corrupt. All of them were pariahs. All of them were eating each other, and it should have been that the religious leaders, the priests and the prophets, should have been able to stop the decline, but they were participating in it. They were party to it. 
And so it might seem a long way around the barn in the introduction tonight, but that's what we're going to do. We're going to take the horse and go around the barn so that we understand where we want to end up together. And that is as a church that is a blessing. We'll look at that, I promise, in the coming time this evening. But we need to understand from Jeremiah how we can become just like these priests and prophets. In verses 1 through 6 of Jeremiah 26, Jeremiah tells the truth and declares God's word to the people, to the princes, to the priests and the prophets. He tells them the truth about their own sinfulness and God's judgment coming upon them. The people, the princes, the priests and the prophets of the temple respond to Jeremiah with opposition to God's truth because they had become so dulled in their hearing and in their faith because of the religious crowd who had dumbed down and diluted true faith and the practice of that faith. That is no different than what we find in our modern culture and our modern churches. In verses 7 and 8 of Jeremiah 26, we pick up and the reading says this, So the priests and the prophets and all the people heard Jeremiah speaking these words in the house of the Lord. Now it came to pass when Jeremiah had made an end of speaking all that the Lord had commanded him to speak unto all the people, that the priests and the prophets, it was the bad churches. It was the religious crowd who stood up against him. That the priests and the prophets and all the people took him saying, Thou shalt surely die. Tell us the truth and we hate you. Boy, how does that put us as a church that wants to practice, preach, and live out the truth before the eyes of others? It seems like that would make us a burden to them. Listen to the false religious response to see how culture is ruined by those who are bad churches that are out there. In chapter 26 and verse 11, we hear their words. Then spake the priests and the prophets unto the princes and to all the people, saying, This man is worthy to die, for he hath prophesied against the city, as ye have heard with your own ears. That could be ripped from today's headlines. They're talking bad about our politicians. Well, listen, if they're bad politicians, they probably ought to have some bad things said about them. If they're wrong, they're wrong. We tell them what's right, and Jeremiah did that. He said, look, this city's going to fall, and it did. He wasn't wrong. Jeremiah responds by not speaking to the ruinous religionists, we might say, but rather to the people and the princes. In other words, a good church, a good prophet, that which is displaying or giving out the truth, doesn't speak to the religious crowd. We don't care at Bluegrass about being a blessing to other churches. Oh, man. Pastor, we have to be a blessing to other churches. Listen, we are the local assembly here. It doesn't mean we don't care about them. There are other great churches out there. I'm simply saying we are not preaching to them. We are proclaiming and sharing truth with the lost people and the princes of those people. And so Jeremiah responds in chapter 26 and verse 12, and he says, the Bible says this, Then spake Jeremiah unto the princes and to all the people, saying, The Lord sent me to prophesy against this house and against this city all the words that ye have heard. Therefore, now amend your ways. One of the great lines in all of the Bible. Amend your ways. Change. Take a corrective course and your doings and obey the voice of the Lord your God. And the Lord will repent him of the evil that he hath pronounced against you. As for me, behold, I'm in your hand. Do with me as seemeth good and meet or proper unto you. But know ye for certain that if ye put me to death, ye shall surely bring innocent blood upon yourselves and upon the city and upon the inhabitants thereof. For of a truth, the Lord hath sent me unto you to speak all these words in your ears. Jeremiah said, listen, I'm just here telling you the truth, man. You can hate me if you want, but this is true. By the way, he doesn't need to say that to churches that are trying to dilute or dull or, or uh, take away, draw away those people from Christ. He needs to say it directly to the people so that they have a stark contrast between what bad and good looks like, what wrong and right look like. The compromise of a dead faith due to false churches is found in the handling of the truth. In verse number 16, we find an interesting statement. And if you go on, you find that they ultimately kill another prophet who makes the same claims that Jeremiah did. He's just echoing what Jeremiah said if you were to get to verses 17 and following. But we'll just read verse number 16. Here's what the Bible says. Then said the princes and all the people unto the priests and the prophets. Here's what happens when you are a blessing to the people. You can actually cause change. 
problem is most churches don't believe that they can affect their community or their culture or their country anymore. This man is not worthy to die, for he hath spoken unto us in the name of the Lord our God. That's the truth. Isn't it amazing? The prophets and the priests couldn't see that. We could argue they didn't want to see that. But they couldn't see that, but the princes and the people could. That is the power of a godly church. That is the power of a truth going out from a body and believers in a particular place. Jeremiah took to the temple and taught this lesson before all of the city of Jerusalem. And if they didn't listen, it was their fault. But if they did listen, they could change. Would to God there would be godly shepherds within faith, worship, our faith and worship just like there was here for Jeremiah, giving out truth and giving the aid to the people around us, giving them the help and aid that brings life and godliness to them. Our church must be diligent and vigilant to remain a church that is a blessing to not only proclaim the truth, but through our actions and activity, promote the truth. It's not just enough to say it. There's a whole lot of churches that are as wicked as they come that will say the right things when they're pressed on the matter. It's different than just proclaiming the truth. We actually have to promote it by the way we live, by the kind of people that we are. A biblical church in our modern day has been made out to be an evil influence on society by some. It's not universal yet in our country, but a good majority say one of the problems with this country is all the religions in it. And that's because the religions will always choke the life out of anything. But a relationship with Jesus Christ will feed life into anything. I assure you that our church will be a blessing to our community so long as I pastor. Here's how we do that. We simply follow Peter's example given to us. As I told you to hold your finger, you can go back there now in 1 Peter chapter 4. In chapter 4 and verse 7, he tells us the end of all things is at hand. Look, the end of all things says this is what we're living for. If it truly is the end times, Peter thought it. 2,000 years or so later, we still believe that the end is nigh. But living with that helps you to understand you're living for and on purpose. There is a purpose to your life. There is something uh, that we are seeking to accomplish as we gather here. We're not just here on a Sunday night to fill up time and to see friends. We're coming to be fed from the Word of God, to be encouraged in the Word of God, but to also take what we hear and go out into the world, word, world and promote the work of God, what God is all about. Here's what Peter says. He says, look, the end of all things is at a hand. Be ye therefore sober. Sober here means to be right thinking or think correctly. Have proper perspective. If if this whole thing is going to end, what am I living for, we might say? He says after that in verse number 7, be therefore sober and watch unto prayer. That word watch has the idea of being settled or settled in our thinking. So once we think right, become settled in that and bathe it in prayer. He next goes on in verse number 8 to tell us that we are to be passionately eager in our sacrificial love for one another. Boy, that is a testimony. Are you willing to sacrifice for others? The way that Peter writes it, above all things, have fervent, that's the passionate agape charity, among yourselves. For agape, that is sacrificial love, shall cover the multitude of sins. So when offenses come between church members and and when I have sinned against you or you've sinned against me, we have this agape sacrificial love that says, I understand that you hurt or harmed me, but I still care for you as Christ did, so I'm willing to forgive you. Paul wrote it this way, Be ye kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you in Ephesians 4.32. That is the mantra. That is the mindset. That is how we approach one another in the spirit, both of meekness, but also in agape, love, sacrificial love. He goes on in verse 9 and he tells us, Use hospitality. We are to use open kindness with each other without discrimination. Well... I like left-side Christians in the church. Everybody that's left of the center aisle, boy, I spend a lot of time with them. I don't know any of those right-siders. 
I grew up in a church, and as they got bigger, they didn't say that, but you could have said that. I mean, that church had a section and a section and a section and a section and a center aisle and a section and a section and a section, and you easily could have sat in that auditorium of 1,500 and sat all the way over on the right side as the pastor in the pulpit looks at it and never even seen or spoke to somebody on the left side. So you could be in a church but not know that person. And what he says here is, look, the healthiest churches, the ones that are a blessing, everybody trying to get to know everyone. Use hospitality without discrimination, without grudging, he says. We are to be, next in verse number 10, we are to be attendant upon one another as we exercise and example the various or diverse graciousness that God has brought into our lives in verse number 10. As every man hath received the gift, even so minister or serve the same one to another. As good stewards of the manifold, that word manifold just means diverse grace of God. And that grace of God is what we're going to talk about in just a moment. It is in this vein that we conclude our message series then. Who are we? And the answer is, we ought to be a blessing, but the blessing depends upon us. If we are a body that is fraught with sin, if we are a building that is creaky and decrepit and falling apart, if we are a bride that is unfaithful, then friend, we will not be a blessing to anyone. We will be a burden to the cause of Jesus Christ. So I ask this evening, how are we a blessing? First thought I'd like for us to look at is we're a blessing through the Holy Spirit's grace. Peter says in verse number 11, If any man speak, let him speak as the oracles of God. If any man minister or serve, notice what he says, let him do it as of the ability which God giveth. That is the enabling power of the Holy Spirit indwelling you. When he says, let him do it as of the ability which God giveth, that is what we're talking about when we say that our blessing comes through the grace and the presence of that grace in the person of the Holy Spirit. Paul addressed it this way in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 4 through 11. He says, now there are diversities of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are differences of administrations, but the same Lord. And there are diversities of operations, but it is the same God which worketh all in all. But the manifestation or the diversity and obvious nature of the Spirit is given to every man to do what? Profit with all. That doesn't mean to profit the person with the gift. It means to profit the whole body, to profit the building, to profit the bride with all. It means we are a benefit in everything we do as we engage by God's grace. For to one is given by the Spirit the word of wisdom, to another the word of knowledge by the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another the gifts of healing by the same Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another discerning of spirits, to another diverse kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. But all these work is that one and the self-same Spirit. It is through that Spirit's working that the gifts are administered, dividing to every man severally or differently, as he will, as he chooses. Mindful of these two admonitions from Peter and from Paul, we understand that the Holy Spirit begins this operation and we exercise these gifts or this grace by the gifting of laymen to do the work. Take your Bibles and turn over to Ephesians chapter number 4. As you turn there, four weeks ago I asked you to take your spiritual gifts profile. Seventeen people and my wife, being 18, turned hers in. I guilted her this week and she turned hers in. Pam hasn't put it in there. One, because she said, oh, I didn't know Pam was recording some of these. She said, please don't give it to her because she put after letter J on the back a letter K. And it, I didn't know. I was like, there isn't a gift for letter K. And it says, loving Kyle. Oh. <laughs> she didn't score an 18 on that one somehow, though. She scored a one gazillion in her words. Anyway, I'm embarrassing her. My po- She's back teaching, so she can't get mad at me. My point is, is I appreciate each of you that turned women. I know many have done them in the past. I know that we've turned them in. Here's the point. The body can be a blessing when we know where the pieces fit. Here's what Ephesians 4, verses 7 and 8 tells us about the gifting of laymen. 
He says in verse 7, but every one of us is given the grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. So here's a point. This verse 7 gives us a little bit of a help or a picture back into Jesus' account of the talents that are given. God gives severally as as he will. The point is not how much you get or how much you use with the gift of salvation or the gift that God gives you of the spirits indwelling and then filling. It's how faithful you are in using what he's given to you. But unto every one of us is is given grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. Wherefore, he saith, when he ascended up on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts unto men. These gifts, these good gifts, these perfect gifts, fall down or come down from the Father of lights, according to James in his letter. These are the things that we must employ in the work of the ministry. Ephesians 4 is an active chapter, whereas chapters 1, 2, and 3 of Ephesians are principal chapters. But in chapter 4, it's the church getting busy. It's the church doing her work. It's the church being seriously minded about accomplishing God's will in God's word according to or, uh, God's work according to his word. Now, I will say this. It may be that some of you haven't turned in your gifts profile because you don't have the gift of administration. I get that. Can I tell you a secret? I have not turned in my spiritual gifts profile test yet either. But I'm pretty sure they've got me assigned to all the places that I'm supposed to be at this point. But if there is a spot I need to fill out, I'll do it. But I know that at least four or five of them, that makes up a good 30% that turned them in, scored high in administration. Boy, that tells me everything I need to know right there. Here's what Matthew Henry said about the spiritual gifts that are to benefit all or to profit with all, as Paul said in 1 Corinthians 12. Matthew Henry, the great commentator of of two centuries ago, said this, The Spirit was manifested by the exercise of these gifts. His influence and interest appeared in them, or the exercise of them. But they were not distributed for the mere honor and advantage of those who had them, but for the benefit of the church, to edify the body and spread, the advance, spread and advance the gospel. Note, he says, whatever gifts God confers on any man, he confers them that he may do good with them. No man has them merely for himself or herself. They are a trust put into the believer's hands to profit with all. And the more each believer profits others with them, the more abundantly will they turn to the believer's account in the end, according to Philippians 4 and verse 17. Spiritual gifts, he concludes, are bestowed that men may with them profit the church and promote the Christian faith. They are not given for show, but for service, not for pomp and ostentation, but for edification and building, not to magnify those that have them, but to edify others who do not. So what is your spiritual gift? I thought you forgot it was four weeks ago. Listen, I'm putting together a message to build the body. That's our purpose. That's our goal. That's our objective. We're not building a kingdom for ourselves here. We're building the kingdom of God on this earth. We're trying to promote and and present the truth so that men and women, boys and girls, will want to see not what we have, but who has us and what we're trying to do. Let me say this, I guess, at this point. Let me be very clear. There are serving gifts, there are sign gifts, and some would argue there are speaking gifts or gifts of presentation. I want to go through with you the serving gifts. Now, on the front row up here when we finish the service, if you know your spiritual gift, I have provided for you all of these portraits. I'm just going to read them. Now, don't get bored. Get interested at boring reading. Uh, But get interested at what I'm going to present to you, and that is a series of gifts. If you know your spiritual gift, praise God. Listen, there's a sheet for you up here. At least it's a guide so that you can do it. In fact, I hope Miss Debbie Elliott has the gift of helps because she sure helped me out during choir by putting all the paper clips on these and getting them ready for us. So if she doesn't, you did a good job faking it this evening as well, Miss Debbie. Here's the gift of helps. Let me start with that one. It's called, I call it the Christian touch. Not all of this is new or in, is original to me. My mentor in the faith, Ted Wheeler, a very wise man, put these together years ago. There's some through here that I've changed or modified as I've pastored now for 15 years, but these are as old as I am in pastoring. 
It, the gift of helps is found in Romans chapter 12 and verse 7. It is called ministry. It's also found in 1 Corinthians 12 and verse 28. The purpose of the gift of helps involves helping wherever there is a need to aid or assist or to come alongside a leader or a layman alike. The person of the gift is a person who likes to meet the practical needs of others in the church. The person does not have to be in the limelight. They are happy not to be seen, but to serve. They don't mind getting their hands dirty. They don't mind manual work. They often volunteer when asked. Their hand is usually the first to go up when there's a volunteer requested for. They are loyal, they are sincere, they are tolerant, they are faithful, and they are devoted. The person with the gift of helps is usually easygoing and very likable. It's kind of hard not to be likable if you're out there helping people all the time. Tends to be more of a follower than a leader, though every good leader has to start by being a servant to others. That is the person of the gift. Here's a portrait of the gift. Here's how you might find them within the church body. That's what we're doing. We're doing the purpose, the person, and the portrait for all of these gifts. By the way, a decade ago, this was one of the first messages I preached on how to serve one another. So, actually, it's more than that. I'm getting old. It's probably 13, 14 years ago. First year and a half of our church. The portrait of the gift of helps. People with this gift enjoy nothing more than seeing someone blessed as a result of their service. Their greatest joy is in serving others. The gift might be used, perhaps as a greeter, as an usher, as a nursery worker, as a choir member if they are able and talented or skilled in that. As an orchestra member, if again they are skilled, they would serve well as a secretary. They are someone who helps with the maintenance on the grounds or serves in any capacity. Uh, They might be and are very serviceable in those that hold the office of the deacon. And by someone, this gift is seen in someone who volunteers to drive others in need of transportation. We have at least six couples that used to be the shuttle bus service from Ashton Grove. And I always would think in my own heart of hearts as a pastor when they would drop people off, that couple has the gift of helps. Either one or both of them do because of what they're doing. The gift of teaching is the next one on your list. And if you don't have it, it is on the back of this little thing. Go grab one. Do we have any more, Pam? Don't, you don't need to go. Pam has the gift of administration. and we get to that, you'll see why she's like, oh man, I got to go do something. Right? You don't. You sit here and enjoy church, okay? The gift of teaching is the challenging touch. It's different than the Christian touch of helps. It's also found in Romans 12 and verse 7. The purpose of the gift, it's referred to in all three of the primary list. And this gift involves learning, understanding, and communicating the Word of God in a way that will build up and strengthen others in the faith. The person of the gift is a person with, that tends to trust in the authority and finality of the Word of God. They delight in research and systematic presentation of the truth. They seek to keep verses in context and make accurate statements and analysis from the Bible. They are ready to defend their doctrinal beliefs. They enjoy engaging in discussion about the Word of God. They are faithful to the Word of God, and they manifest a lifestyle exemplifying sincerity when it comes to the Word of God. That person's a good teacher. It's hard to teach if you don't live by the book. Kind of hard for people to listen to you teach, I guess I could say. The portrait of the gift. How is this used? There are many opportunities to exercise this gift here at Bluegrass. Teaching in Sunday school. Many different avenues of that. Bible Adventure Club, Children's Sunday School, Adult Sunday School, VBS, Super and Junior Church. There's countless opportunities to teach here at Bluegrass. You just got to jump in and do it. They also would be ones that would be good at doing discipleship one-on-one or teaching a Bible study. The next gift is the gift of exhortation. Romans 12 and verse 8, the purpose of the gift, the meaning of the word exhort is to call alongside. The gift of exhortation can be defined as the God-given ability to encourage or get alongside of other believers living, in living the Christian life. You've all met somebody that's a great encourager. They probably have the gift of exhortation. The person of this gift is one who is a real encourager to others. They desire to see others excel in their Christianity and be everything God wants them to be. They're always seeming to be where, they, where you need them, when you need them, and they want to encourage rather than discourage you in your faith. They usually enjoy counseling people because they just seem to have the right words. You leave that person, you go, man, they, they had the right thing to say. If you've been around a person like that, you know what you're, you're talking about or what this is, is saying here. What is the portrait of the gift? Well, the exhorter, the one with exhortation, 
the Bible seems to come down to about three ways in which this person works within the body. One, they help in a project or task. The person helps to keep the leader from being overwhelmed with the task, and the person with this gift is there to encourage. Hey, listen, one of the best encouragers to me is Brother Mike Duffy. When we start in on a project, I don't immediately go to him, but I know that if there's all kinds of problems, I can go to him and he'll say, you know what, Pastor, it'll work out. (laughs) How? I mean, I've I've got faith, and I usually think that as well. Jessica sometimes at our house says, you're kind of like Brother Mike is to you, to me. It'll work out, honey. I'm sure it will. That's the gift of faith. But the encourager says, here's how I can help you make that work out. Here's how I can encourage you in the actions that you need to take. Encouraging others to obedience in Scripture, and then comforting, a ministry of comfort. What a truth that is. The fourth gift is the gift of giving. The person of this gift is, has the God-given ability and desire to give generously above one's tithe to the work of God or to the things of God. It may not just be the local church. The person of this gift is one that has special ability to contribute financially to God through the church with liberality and genuine enjoyment. With this gift, you want to give. You are the epitome of the cheerful giver. Characteristics of a person with this gift are that they love God, they love His work, they give cheerfully, they don't need pressure to give, they don't give to get in return, they don't give for show, they are good at making and handling money. Money is not their God, they, have may, they may have nice things, but they are not focused on having those things. Uh, we, I'm being careful here, Jessica said I have to be careful with one. We have one of our boys who is a very earnest giver. Um, My wife said, he might get that from you. I I like to give, but I can tell you exactly which Fannin he gets that from. Am I right, Mom? And he's sitting to your left. My dad, as long as I've been alive, has enjoyed giving. And I think my dad has that spiritual gift, and it's been a blessing. There are many in this church that have that spiritual uh, gift. And it's wonderful to see in even little Christians, young lives, that that gift is there from the Spirit of God, and there needs to be a nurturing of those spiritual gifts. Next on the list is the gift of leadership. There's a couple more, and I'm going to hasten through these. But I encourage you that they're on the front and that you can come and pick them up. The gift of leadership is the gift of ruling, as it's called, in Romans chapter 12. It means to stand before or to lead, to give care and diligence in a matter, and then give direction for it. A pastor would have to have this gift in order to lead the church. Some staff members and deacons may have it, plus others in the church. Many of our life stage leaders have demonstrated the gift of leadership. The one qualifying absolute requirement of a true leader is that they must have a servant's heart. You cannot be a leader by bossing people around. You have to lead by serving in the Christian life. The person of this gift is goal-oriented, well-disciplined, often works best under heavy pressure, is not a procrastinator, is often a good motivator, and is likely very serious-minded and highly motivated and even intense in certain matters in the subjects that he leads in. They delegate whenever it's possible and they, when they know the work can get done. The Bible says of the portrait of this gift that the leader or ruler will act with all diligence. That's the one modifier that is given to one who leads. They must be an individual of diligence. The gift of administration is the next one. Administration can be a little more project and detail-oriented to get the work done. It is the idea or the word that is used in 1 Corinthians 12, 28 is governments. It is the idea of steering a ship. While the gift of leadership or ruling would be a little more visionary and possibly more people-oriented, that's leadership, administration deals with the details behind the matter. The person with this gift has many of the following characteristics. They love to work with charts and graphs, which is not me. I score very low, by the way, in administration. You say, well, how are you a pastor? And the answer is I hire a lot of administrators around me that know very well what they're doing, and they can tell me what I'm doing. Uh, They love to work with charts and graphs. They love to plan and organize. They plan ahead. They stick to a schedule. They have the ability to see the big picture in small segments or pieces. They demonstrate competence. They make decisions logically, strictly on the facts, not feelings. They're not a procrastinator. Sometimes they're even called a workaholic. 
They can be intense, and it depends on the person if they handle the pressure well. This person, the portrait, could fit into any number of church situations. A school administrator, a ministry leader, a nursery coordinator, a life stage director, organizing and planning ministries in the church. There was a plea in the bulletin for the Laugh Olympics, I mean the Church Olympics this fall at the fall festival. If you're an administrator and you say, well, there's nothing for me to administrate, we just begged for your help and mercy to use your administration. When you hear it, by the way, the administrator, when they hear it, they say, I can do it. Here we go. And the same 10 people sign up for the same stuff all the time. Those are usually the administrators or the people with helps. The gift of mercy is the next one that comes in the list in Romans 12 and verse 8. It can be defined as the God-given ability to have compassion for all kinds of hurting people and to minister to them cheerfully, gladly. A person with this gift will seek to be a refreshment to other, the others. The person exercising this gift is one who's always willing and has a big heart full of compassion to the one that is in need. A Christian doctor or nurse may have this gift. It will cost you your time to be merciful, but a person with mercy is glad to do it. Mercy is a choice. It's something we do, but it's not something that just happens. The recipient of this gift are those who are, uh, excuse me, there are those who are recipients of this gift, and those would be the ones with special needs, those who have to be tended to, shut-ins, those who might have handicaps, those who might have difficulties in this life. The gift of mercy fits into a local body through visiting those in need, shut-ins, elderly, and the sick, helping with ministries for those who may be handicapped. I remember at the church in Virginia, we had a little man that would visit our church who was mentally challenged. His name was Tommy. And every time he would come into church, Tommy loved me when I was a teenager. My dad's shaking his head because Tommy would stick close to me everywhere I went. And I was telling Nate uh, this week at Dad and Dude and Donuts, I was telling him uh, about how he likes to help people as well. I said, that's a very merciful thing. I said, it's not something that dad is given to. I had to learn it because Tommy took to me and I wasn't very comfortable as a teenager saying, sure, Tommy. Tommy was probably in his 40s then, worked at Burger King, but came to our church. And every time he came into church, hey, Kyle. And he would talk to me and I would just sit and listen and talk. And he was a wonderful soul to be kind and compassionate to because Jesus loves him as much as he loves me. It was a good lesson for me as a young man who was not very merciful in my teenage and 20 years. And so it was a good teaching lesson. The next two are the gift of faith and the gift of pastor. The gift of faith is the supernatural ability to trust God. It's the ability to not only trust God with his word, but also about something in the future that may not be presently understood. By the way, I personally believe a pastor must be given to faith. They have to see the unseen more clearly or as clearly as possible than anyone else in his church. It's a wonderful ministry of prayer in this gift of faith. They are usually the best prayer warriors in the body. This person prays with confidence to a God who is all-knowing and has all of the answers. A person with this gift in their portrait would have a strong confidence that God hears and answers prayers and they would trust God to provide when the needs arise within the body. The final one is that of a pastor and we'll save that because so far there's only one presently in that role in this church. But there's another coming and there's others that are needed. It is also a gift given to the church. The salvation that we received from Christ is for so much more than just escaping punishment. It is for serving within the body. That is God's designed directive for us. The Spirit of God, by His grace, gives to men those gifts that are right and necessary as He wills. The body, the building, and the bride are to use their gifts to build themselves in this most holy faith. By, the gra- by grace, excuse me, the Spirit of God gifts the layman, but He also gives them leadership. If you were to keep reading in Ephesians 4, verses 11 through 16, you would find the gift of a pastor to a church is that he is to edify and build up the body of believers in this most holy faith. That's my job. That's my responsibility. That passage teaches us, beginning in verse 11 and continuing to verse 16, 
that the sole purpose of leadership or pastoral leadership within the church is to edify and build up the body to the full stature of Christ. He says in verse 11, and he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers. Why? For the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. It is not the pastor's job to do all the work in this place. It is the pastor's job to make sure all the people of this place know how their their talents, their abilities, and their spiritual gifts are to be used in this place. That's how we're a blessing. Verse 13, till we all come in the unity of the faith and to the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man or mature under the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro by every, uh, excuse me, uh, about with every wind of doctrine. By the slight of men and the cunning craftiness whereby they lie in wait to deceive, but speaking the truth in love may grow up into him all things, which is the head even Christ, from whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplieth. The idea is that the pastor has made sure all of the people are serving in their right and fullest capacity according to the effectual working in the measure of every part, making increase of the body unto the edifying of itself, In love. The pastor is a gift to the church. I've said this many, many times. He can only do what God has designed for him to do. And what God desires for him to do is to make you into the fullness and stature of Christ. There will come a day where there's another man that holds the office of pastor in this body, and his responsibility will be no different than mine. That's why he gives us leaders. We are a blessing through the Holy Spirit's grace, but we are also a blessing in the household of faith. Scott, we're going to skip the next one on the verses back there, 1 Peter chapter 4. We've had it and we've read it. I simply would say this. I urge you to consider in that passage we read the unity and togetherness that is there. Your closest relationships should be within the family, the church. Are they? You say, well, my blood family. Well, yes, I'm not discounting that. That's a family, but... Within the family of God, this is where you should draw your friendships. It's where you should find your belonging. It is an untrue statement for someone to say, I just don't have anything in common with the people of this church. Then why are you here? Might be the question. If there is spiritual life in a church, then you should have that, that as the common ground in your life. Let me say a word about being a blessing in our life stage fellowships. We have... Uh, we've got a couple of them. Let's go through them, not too quickly. We have a bunch of life stages here. How many, by raise of hand, know what life stage you're in? Some of you are half asleep because I lit, read a long list of spiritual gifts, and one of the spiritual gifts was not to stay awake or sugar or candy or coffee. All right, I understand that. Why do we have life stages? What is the purpose of our life stages? Uh, Jump back. I jumped over a verse, didn't I? Acts chapter 2. Did I jump? Okay. Jump back to Acts chapter 2. This is what happens when I don't hand out notes. I can just shotgun it wherever I want to. Acts chapter 2, verse 46, the Bible says this. We'll come back to that other one in a minute there, Scott. It says, And they, continuing daily with one accord in the temple, and breaking bread from house to house, did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. We find that they were continuing daily in the temple and breaking bread from house to house. In other words, they were in fellowship with one another. Now, right now, we don't have adult Sunday school classes during a Sunday school hour. Do you know why? If you were to get up and walk out, and some of you feel like doing that right now, but if you get up and walk out and walk to the back... Every single room in this building and in the building out in the courtyard, every single one is used. That's a blessing. But it's also a little bit of a burden. Would you like to have life stages broken into Sunday school classes? Listen, every church I've ever been a part of, except for this one, that's the way it's been. You say, well, you're the pastor. Fix it. I keep trying and we outgrow the building. And it's not just saying that kind of ham-handedly. I'm being legitimately honest. Every single time we've sat down and said, ah, when we moved into this building, we've got enough classrooms. And then all the kids started coming. They literally were falling out of trees at some point. I mean, just walking in this place. Tonight, in the back, there's probably 40 or 50 kids back there on that back hallway. There's some of our classrooms that have 30 kids in them on a Sunday morning. Those rooms are rated for like 18. 
I don't know where they're stuffing them. Maybe they got bunk beds, like bunk chairs, where they can sit one on the bottom and climb up on top. Here's the point. I think it's a good thing, eventually, someday, that we will be able to have adult Sunday school classes that go with our Life Stage fellowships. But when we started the church and we knew that we were a church plant and a growing church, we knew that the operational arm of the church, how we build fellowship, is through the Life Stage. Now, I will grant it, we don't do a Life Stage activity every month because everybody's schedule is busy. Oh, Pastor, I'd come to more, but it's just busy. It is busy. I understand that. But the design of the life stages, when you see a life stage announcement, do you know why it's out there? It's there so that you can participate with your fellow believers of the same stage of life as you. It's not rocket science, right? I'm, I'm your pastor. I'm not that bright. I just keep things simple, right? I live by the KISS principle. Keep it simple, silly. <laughs> We're not allowed to say the other word in our house, so. Here's the point. That's who we are. So... Our life stages are structured, are, excuse me, are structured so that people of the same situation in life can fall into the same fellowship groups. In that process, they can encourage and edify one another in their walks with the Lord. This is what it means to be in a life stage. Now, I realize as they grow, we're going to have to tweak them a little bit, and we're in the process of doing that right now. Now, Scott, we can go to your slide. We have the forerunners. They're meeting right on the other side of this wall. Keith is probably hearing me right now because he can hear everything I say through that wall, and he's probably saying, Kyle, please stop talking. I'm trying to teach. But the point is, they're right in there, and those are our single adults. They are the college and the career, and Keith and Aaron Seaman lead those. The next group after them are the beginnings. Right now, this is the brand newest of the brand newest. These are, are, is being led presently by Wes and Jessica only because he's on staff and he got stuck with it. We played a not-it game on staff meeting on one Monday, and Wes was slow because he was new. I'm like, ha-ha, you got it, buddy. Nah, that's not how we do it. I'm kidding. That's me in leadership, not me in administration. Here's that group in description. It's soon-to-be or newly married without children. So in other words, if those soon-to-be married want to come this coming Saturday night, they should. Why? Because they're soon-to-be married. If Dylan and Melanie want to come to that, they can and they should. The next group is the foundations. This used to be the beginnings, but we had to bump, bump them up because they were having so many kids. Jamie and Min Young, I misspelled her name. I left her G off. They're down on vacation in Florida, so she can't yell at me, but she wouldn't anyway. She's too nice. Jamie and Min Young Davidson are the leaders of this group. The description of the group is young families with children ages zero to preschool. That's the life stage. You say, are you making me go to these? No, I'm just saying these are meant for you. Just like church is free will, going to these life stages. I mean, if you are a forerunner and you want to hang out with the prime timers, you can. Prime timers may have a problem with it, but you can. Ideally, this is where you should spend your time and energy learning and fellowshipping one with another. The next group is the home builders. The leaders of this are Shane and Erica Colvin. These are families with children first through sixth grade. The next slide is, of, uh, uh, is the navigators, and the leaders of this are Jason and Jolie. Now, Chris and Jen have led this and are technically are still leading this because Jason and Jolie are in the Dominican right now. But the point is, is that we're in a transitional phase with this group because the next groups above them we're in transition with. As we age and phase up, there's going to be a process. In other words, the beginnings can't be in the beginnings for the next 60 years. There has to come a point where they go from beginnings to home builders, from home builders to navigators, from navigators to empty nesters, from empty nesters to horizons, horizons to prime timers, prime timers to heaven. <laughs> I'm not saying anytime soon, I'm just saying that's a natural progression of things. I mean, that's, that's just life, right? That's just who we are. That's how it works. This is truth. The next group is the newest one, and Chris and Jen were like, oh, finally, we're done leading a group, and then I took him and stuck him right into this one. I didn't even ask him, did I, Jen? Like, not even at all. Chris is probably out on security. He's going to come in and wring my neck in a second. Truth is, they all know these things. Nothing is new to them. We had a meeting in July last year. The description, yeah, exactly. It takes a lot of planning. They up here said last year. Yeah, it takes a lot of planning for a lot of these things, a lot of conversations that have to take place. Chris and Jen are leading it. It's couples aged 45 to 60. Now, I know that some of you are like, wait, 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 60? I thought that was prime timer. Well, stick with me. Stick with me. 
Things are developing. The Horizons are led by the Thayer and Lawson families. Now, Stu and Yvonne are the leaders of the Horizons, but we know that that group is growing, not the fastest, but it's growing with the most diverse crowd. There are some prime timers, if you look at that age, who are going to be moving over the next couple weeks. You're going to be contacted back into that Horizons. It's going to be 55 to 70. You say, are you making this up as you go along? Brother Mark, you and Debbie have been here from the beginning. Are some of the things we do have to be made up as we go along, right? There is no Bible verse about an empty nester, none at all. None of these graphics are in the Bible. They're not in a Bible verse. What I'm saying is when we fellowship one with another, our goal is to be a blessing within the household of faith. And these life stages are designed. The last one is the prime timers. The prime timers, and some of you say, but I'm in the prime timers and this is going to pull me back down to the one below. I don't want to be in the one below. Hey, listen, I just told you after prime timers, it's heaven. It would be a great thing to go back. You got at least two more phases before you go to heaven. Isn't that right? Listen, I just read to you what the gift of leadership is. The gift of leadership that has to be in my life is that sometimes I don't make hard decisions, but I have to make decisions or leadership decisions that benefit the whole body. Well, I don't like it. I'm not going to hang out with my pals anymore. Well, that leads me to the second thing, and that is not our life stage. It's building lasting friendships. Listen, you are friends with who you are friends with. The life stage fellowship is irrespective of that. It doesn't have any bearing on that. The life stage is a conduit to start building those friendships and have that fellowship, but ultimately this is the structure of the church. Friendships are born from common interest and shared experience. We'll not take the time tonight to look at it, but there's a great passage I encourage you to read in Ephesians 4, or excuse me, Acts chapter 4, verses 23 through 33. In that passage, essentially. Peter and John have been threatened. They come back. The church has prayed. As they come back, they rehearse all the things that went on. The church says, yeah, you get them, Peter. You keep being faithful. And they were all excited together. And they were so excited together that they had a prayer meeting and they had preaching. And the whole place was moved. And the work of God grew. Why? Because they had shared experience at a common bond. Common interest with the shared experience. If you're going to develop deep friendships in the church, it will take time spent together. We are a blessing through the Holy Spirit's grace. We are a blessing in the household of faith and finally to the whole human race. I don't need to spend much time on this. Simply to say, as a body, as a building, and as a bride, we show God's life and we share God's love. That's our purpose. It's our objective. Wherever you go, whomever you meet, and however that conversation goes... It depend, the success of showing God's life and sharing God's love depends upon you willfully acting to show and to share. It's on you. So in closing, who are we? As a church, we're a body to carry Christ's life. We are a building to show forth Christ's light. We are a bride to experience Christ's love. And we are a blessing to give all three of those to the world that desperately needs them. And that's how we're a blessing. I hope that you are. I hope that as we engage in our spiritual gifts, we would become more active in using our gifts, looking to use them instead of waiting to be asked to use them. If God has gifted you, you're a member and a part of this body to use your gifts for God's glory. Father, help us as we close our thoughts for this.